Well, good morning. Uh, during the fall, we've been reading through the Gospels together and have been focusing on some of Jesus' healings. Healing is uh, one of the main ways Jesus served people on this earth. As a good shepherd, he came to serve, and Jesus in the Gospel met great needs with great compassion. Now, sometimes in the Gospels, when Jesus would heal someone, it would make someone really angry, like we saw last week in the sermon on Luke 13. But today, we actually get some of the highest praise given to Jesus by the crowds in all of Mark because of this healing that he performs. So I'm going to read for us from Mark 7, verses 31 through 37. You can follow along your order of worship or in a Bible or just listen as I read. Then he returned from the region of Ty, and he went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. They begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, looked up to heaven, he sighed, and said, Ephathatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond all measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is God's word. It's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your spirit that meets us here through your word. We pray for each one of us today, wherever we are, as we come into this room. We're tired. Some of us are worn out. Some of us are fearful. Some of us are apathetic. Some of us are happy and doing well. Father, I thank you that you know each one of us in this room personally, and that you can meet us through your spirit and through your word to give us what we need to hear now. In your name, amen. Well, there's a game uh, that I like to play almost every morning on my phone. I'm not going to lie. I'm probably a little addicted to it. It's from the New York Times, and it's not Wordle, though I do play Wordle as well. Uh, It's a game called Connections. I know some of you play it as well, but if you're not familiar with it, on your screen you have 16 words. And you need to place them into four categories of four. And so you look at it and you try to figure out what are the categories. So, for example, you might see the words bacon, French toast, pancakes, and eggs. And you think, oh, this must be the breakfast category. You click on it, and if you're right a color appears. If you're wrong, you get, I think, three wrong guesses and the game is over. Now, it might sound easy, but sometimes there are more words in the category than you have to choose from. You might see bacon, French toast, pancakes, and eggs, and cereal. You got to decide which of the four actually is the breakfast category. And when you make a mistake, you're told if you're one away, which is sometimes helpful and sometimes frustrating when I'm trying to figure out what category I'm looking for. But what really gets me in this game is at times I get fixated on a word and I'm so sure it's the category and I get stuck and I miss out on the right answer. For example, I might see the word style and I think, well, obviously that must be about Harry Styles and I'm sure, as you all know, he was one of Taylor Swift's ex-boyfriends. So I think clearly the category is going to be all about Taylor Swift. I focus so much on the wrong category that I can't see the right answer right in front of me. I get so captivated on what I assume is right that I'm unable to see past my mistake, and I miss the category altogether. 
Now, I was thinking about this in relation to the passage that we're looking at today, as well as in this section of Mark that this passage comes from. There is a sense in which Jesus is being placed into a category that isn't correct or complete. There's a sense in which the crowds and the disciples are connecting Jesus to something that might even be right, but they're missing out on what is really going on in the situation. In the passage I just read, this healing astonished the crowds beyond measure, and they say, he has done all things well. And this is an amazing celebration of what Jesus has done, and this is 100% true. Jesus has done all things well in his power, in his compassion, in his ability to heal. It's amazing and astonishing. But what this healing signifies escapes the crowds, it seems. It's as if the crowds only place Jesus in a category of amazement and wonder and spectacle. And they don't see the true category of what ultimately healings like this point to about who Jesus is and why he came for us in our broken world. The crowd might be excited about the physical healing they got to see, but the spiritual healings that is needed often escapes them. And it's not just the crowds that at times uh, connect Jesus to the wrong thing. His disciples as well can't see the true meaning and significance of what Jesus is doing. This healing here and another healing found in the next chapter of Mark are not only a display of Jesus' power, which it is, but I believe they symbolically point to the blindness and the deafness of the disciples at times to see and hear what Jesus is saying and doing. If you read the Gospels at all, you see the disciples are often blind to who Jesus really is. Disciples don't always hear or understand what Jesus is really saying or promoting. And often the disciples' tongues are tied up out of fear and a misunderstanding of the kingdom of Jesus, and it prevents them from seeing the true of who Jesus is. The question we have to ask is, are we any different? Do we look to Jesus and his words and place them in the wrong category and so misunderstand the true kingdom that he has inaugurated? Are we any different? I was thinking about this this week, and I happened to come across an article on the CNN website that was entitled this. As the 2024 campaign heats up, be wary of politicians who text jack the Bible. Now, I didn't know what text jacking meant, so I looked it up, and it means to take a biblical verse and rob it of its original meaning. And this brief article gives some examples in the past of politicians that misuse the Bible, including Jesus' words, for their own gain. And I got to say, it is easy to make fun of some of those examples that they give us in that article. It's also easy to mourn some of the ways folks have attempted to use Jesus or treat Jesus as something they can pick and choose for what they need for their gain. But again, I got to ask, are we any different? I mean, how often do we pick and choose what we want to use Jesus for for our own gain and longings? How often do we struggle to follow Jesus and his words if they are not meeting our needs or our desires that we believe we deserve? What do we do if the call to Jesus to follow his teachings feels like it's not letting us be true to ourselves? What happens when we feel like following Jesus and his words do not allow us to follow our hearts 
that we can't just be who we are. Now, for some of us, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to having Jesus to turn to, when we're going through a hard time, we, like the crowds, can shout, he has done all things well. But for some of us, when we hear Jesus' call to how we use our bodies, how we use our time, where we give our money to, we're not sure he has done all things well. So what do we do when we experience selfishness, which we do often, with our desire to be right and our desire to be the one that everyone looks to and our pride takes us and consumes us? Where do we go when spiritual blindness happens and we lack the hearing to respond to the call of Jesus in our lives? Well, I believe we need to open our eyes to see who Jesus really is and see how a miracle like this is not just a picture of Jesus' compassion and care for people, which it is. But this miracle is a wonderful sign pointing to the true purpose and meaning of Jesus for our lives and what it means to follow him with our lives. So let us have eyes to hear and ears to hear, eyes to see and ears to hear and tongues to confess who Jesus is as we look at some of the specifics of this miracle in Mark 7. Our passage begins with Jesus heading to Tyre through Sidon through the region of the Decapolis. Throughout this chapter in Mark, Jesus is zigzagging his way around this Gentile territory, and either that means someone gave him bad directions because it just doesn't make sense the route he's taking, or Jesus is doing this on purpose. You see, earlier in the chapter of Mark 7, you could read about Jesus in a debate with the religious leaders of the day about laws and traditions that make a person clean. The first few verses in Mark 7 that you could read about shows Jesus in a debate about what makes someone religiously acceptable to God. And Jesus pushes these religious leaders to understand that what makes you unclean is not the type of people you hang out with or the type of food you eat, but it's the condition of your heart. Jesus teaches this and then heads out to a place where the religious leaders of his day would consider very unclean this Gentile community. And what does he do in this supposedly unclean place? He eats with the Gentiles. He enters into their houses. He touches and cares for people that are there. You see, Jesus' kingdom is for all and his healing power is for everyone. So just like the Jewish crowds in Galilee brought the sick to Jesus, here in this Gentile community, a crowd brings a deaf, speechless man to Jesus and begs for him to lay his hand on him. What we see here is what we see throughout all of Jesus's life. Jesus moves beyond the barriers of ethnicity and religious tradition and brings the good news of the kingdom to all. And we don't know much about this man who was deaf and could not speak, but we can imagine how difficult his life must have been. The word that's used here for his speech impediment seems to imply that he can make noises, but he cannot speak coherently. You just wonder how much of a spectacle this man was. How much perhaps people stared at him, avoided him, maybe made fun of him. We don't know, but it's probably safe to say there wasn't a ton of employment opportunities in the ancient Near East for a person in this condition. He probably was dependent upon the help of others throughout as long as he was not able to speak and able to hear. And it seems like those that were helping him bring him to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? It says he takes away this man from the crowd to deal with him in private. 
He treats him not just as a problem to fix, but as a person to heal. He has no interest in turning this healing into a three-ring circus or a miracle show for the crowds. The crowds can wait. The spectacle of this miracle is, is not the goal. Jesus in private wants to concentrate entirely on this man and his needs and taking him aside from the crowd privately. I love the simplicity of those words about who our Savior is. The great shepherd Jesus takes one of his wounded sheep by the hand away from the crowds to meet him in his need. Our great shepherd Jesus still leads us right now and cares for us today, not as problems to be fixed, but as daughters and sons whom he loves. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue. Now we have to acknowledge this is a little strange and kind of unexpected if you're familiar with the other healings of Jesus, which we've been looking at throughout this sermon series. I mean, Jesus has plenty of people that he has healed by just touching them or saying a word. A woman once was healed by just touching his garment in a crowd. Jesus is able to heal people that are not even present with him. But here, he places the fingers in the ears. He spits on his hand and touches the man's tongue. Well, I agree, and I actually love what most of the commentaries I read say about this healing. Jesus is not doing these things because he needs it to heal this man. Jesus is doing these things because this man needs it. He's speaking to this man in the only language this man can understand at this time. He enters into this man's world with nonverbal speech that the man can understand. He puts the fingers in the ear as if to say to him, I'm about to do something with your hearing. He touches the tongue with spit to say, I'm about to do something with your speech. Jesus entered into this man's world. And this fits well with what we know about our Savior throughout all of Scripture. The incarnation itself is God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. We believe that God became man and entered into our world and into our needs. The great King of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth, the sinless Lamb of God came down and identified with this man's agony and angst. What a beautiful image of our Savior to behold and celebrate. He meets us in our needs. He touches this man and he prays to God and he says, Be opened. And immediately this man can hear, and immediately he starts speaking plainly. A tongue tied up in knots is suddenly, uh, suddenly untied, and he's speaking clearly from silence to speech in a moment. He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And what does Jesus do after this healing? Well, he does what we see elsewhere throughout uh, the Gospels when he displays his power to the crowds. He charges them to tell no one. But over and over again, we see in the story of Jesus, he can't seem to stop people from talking. I mean, think about all that we know that Jesus can do. He can walk on water. He can turn water into wine. He can take a few loaves and fishes and, and feed 5,000 people. He can heal the blind. He can cast out demons. He can even raise folks from the dead. But what he cannot seem to do is stop people from talking about him. 
News of what Jesus keeps doing doesn't just leak out. It pours out all over the place. Verse 36 says, the more he charged them to be quiet, the more he charged them, the more zealous they proclaimed it. Some secrets are too big to keep under wraps, it seems. Now, Jesus wanted to keep the secret for the right moment. Jesus knew the hearts of his disciples. He knew the hearts of the crowds. He knew the hearts of his enemies. And he knew that he needed to wait for the proper time to reveal who he was and what he came to do. Because the people back then, at this point, did not have all the pieces of the puzzle. They did not have the complete picture of who Jesus is and what he came to do. The full significance of Jesus' healing on this earth could not be understood until after the death and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, the secrecy of Jesus turned into a go and tell after the resurrection. And that is where we find ourselves today. For those of us in this room that believe the wonderful truth that Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ will come again, we are called to go and tell the good news to others. To go and zealously proclaim Jesus has done all things well. One of the ways we get to do this is with our own witness to others. To acknowledge who we are because of Jesus to those who do not know him. And as well, we get to do this as a church as we pray for and support our missionaries throughout the world that are zealously proclaiming all things that Jesus has done well. In places like France, and South Korea, and Japan, and Romania, and Bulgaria. I'm so happy that we as a church have recently started supporting a pastor from Belgium who is helping plant a church in Brussels. I'm grateful that we as a church have started supporting a family who moved to Ireland to help with the churches there to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Those of you who are part of this church and who financially give to us are helping us continue to spread the good news of all that Jesus has done well through our missionaries throughout the world. Thank you and be encouraged about that. It is good for us to go and tell the good news of who Jesus is, and it is good for us to care for people that are doing this as well in places we might never go. The world needs the good news of Jesus. They need the good news of Jesus because often we live in pain and struggles in this world. We need to be reminded of the good news of Jesus because often it is hard to believe this when we face difficulties and confusing things in our lives, and we all do at times. I just finished a book called The Life We Never Expected, Hopeful Reflections on the Challenges of Parenting Children with Special Needs. This short book was written by a husband and wife who are describing the joys and the struggles and the challenges of parenting two children with special needs. And in one chapter, the father shares about how he needs to turn to truths that he has a hard time believing at times when he experiences doubt and pain and struggle. He said when he faces times of despair, which we all do, we live in a broken world and we need to remember three things. First thing he said we need to remember is that we are not God. We don't know everything that is going on and we often don't know what God is doing. And we don't always like that, but it's a truth that we aren't God and he is sovereign over all. But the second truth we need to remember is we worship a God who enters into pain, who weeps with us, who mourns with us, who eventually struggles on the cross for us.
And finally, we need to remember and believe that God is one day making all things right, all things new. And I believe that we see all three of these things in verse 34. And Jesus, looking up into heaven, he sighed and he said, Afatha, which means be open. Jesus looks to heaven, to his heavenly Father in prayer as a servant of the Lord. Jesus had the power to heal this man. But we see him turn like he did when he prayed for the loaves and the fishes a little before this. He turns to his Father in prayer. He turns to his Father for power and strength to do what he's called to do. And this is what we need to do as well, especially when we don't understand what's going on. I don't know why some of you right now are going through deep struggles. You know, there's a joy, uh, there's a joy, a great joy and a privilege to be a pastor. And there's also a struggle to hear how much pain and sickness and broken relationships are just within our community. I don't understand why God allows that to happen. I don't understand why Jesus heals some deaf people, but he doesn't heal them all. I don't understand why God doesn't do what we want him to do at times. But when we don't understand, I think with all of our faith, we can muster, even if it's just a little bit. We could tell God this. We could ask God for help. We could ask God to meet us. We could ask God to comfort us. And we can know that we might not get all the answers we want, but we will get a God who weeps and hurts with us. It says in this verse that Jesus sighed. He looked up to heaven and he moaned. I believe he moaned because he identified with this man's pain and agony. He sighs and he groans because he knows that this world that was created good by his Father is not the way it's supposed to be. And Jesus knows right now that in a world full of addictions and depression and infertility and infidelity and suffering and death, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And so he sighs in this moment with the deaf man. And then he sighs on the cross when he dies for this world. Which moves me to the last thing we need to remember and believe. God will make one all things right eventually. The word be open here that Jesus uses in our passage is found one other place in Scripture and is what was read for us in our Old Testament. Isaiah 35, man, read those words again this week. The words of hope that describe the coming Messiah who's going to come and open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf and will call the lame to leap. This prophecy of Isaiah is saying God is one day going to bring someone that's going to make all things right. And Jesus is that Messiah. The healing of Mark 7 is a foretaste of what is to come when completely the sin and the decay and the brokenness of this world will be gone. God will one day make all things right. God is in the business of restoring creation to glory. He who began a good work in Jesus will complete it. We need to believe this. We need to cling to this hope that all things will be made new one day. Let me pray for us. Father, we do pray for each one of us in this room that experience the pain and suffering of living in this world. And for many in our world, that have experienced death recently and violence and homelessness and injustice and suffering. Father, thank you that you give us opportunities to enter into people's lives that are suffering, but I thank you that you yourself entered into the suffering broken world by your son 
and on the cross died, and one day we long for the enemy of sin and the enemy of pain and the ultimate last enemy of death to be gone forever. And until that day, give us the hope to rest in you in the midst of our struggles. In your holy name, amen.